we, we do want the public to kind of respect a lot of these people's rights and, you know, some, some of them really don't want to talk. I just want them to think of it like this. Uh, some of these people have had to, the amount of energy that it's taken for these people to actually go out to do something like that is massive. Mm -hmm. uh, the last thing they want is to be drilled <laughs> on why do they have a dog Oh, you know, you don't look like you're disabled, mm -hmm. or you know, what's wrong with you, or um, or the most some some of the most. Common, oh, I used to have a dog like this. No. Oh, you know? that's classic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everybody used to have a cattle dog. Everybody yeah. used to have a shepherd. Every you know. yeah. So it's quite it's quite common. But look, it's good for the public. Um, we we often uh, every time we've done testing and that um, the public have been amazing. Like they've really been um not i'm not going to use the word sympathetic but they've been uh empathetic welcome to life with your dog podcast our focus is educating dog owners enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train manage live and thrive with our dogs to teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now I'm your host, Panos Anagnostu. And I'm your co-host, Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Today we have a guest, Liz Jackman. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Panos. And, and I'm, uh, thank you very much for having me on as a guest speaker. Oh, I'm very, very happy. You've been on my list right from the beginning, so it was time to do it. So today it's just me interviewing you. So I know Luke's a really good interviewer as well, but he's, um, he's busy at the NDTF at the moment. So he's doing his second block of the um, practical, which is pretty cool for him. And um, yeah, so very, very exciting. How is Brisbane, how's Brisbane weather today? Yeah, not too bad, but you can't really trust Google weather. Uh, so apparently it wasn't supposed to rain at all today, but it's, there is some slight rain. So, yeah, never trust Google yeah. with the weather. But, That's yeah, right. no, we've it's had, not too bad. Had, yeah, good, good. We've had a bit of um, bit of crazy weather as well here with lots and yeah. lots of rain, but we're so happy for it. The grass is finally green. We've been so dry for so long. So, But as a dog trainer, it's no good when it's raining, especially on a weekend. Um, rescheduling sessions is not ideal when you're really, really busy. So, um, yeah. We work around it. It's all good. Well, well, I want to talk about, you know, what you guys do. So obviously Whiskey's Wish is the organization that you're a part of. So tell us a little bit about that for everyone, obviously, that doesn't know. Um, and yeah, we'll get into that and then we'll talk about how I've helped out and then there's a, we'll go down the rabbit hole of, of, of everything. <laughs> Leading questions. Yeah, so um, I'm one of the co-founders of Whiskey's Wish. So uh, uh it uh, started uh, back in, oh, geez, it's six years now, so 2014. Yeah, wow. uh, and it was named after uh, a whiskey, beautiful blue healer that uh, was given to my husband as a veteran uh, as an assistance dog uh, to help him um, sort of reintegrate back uh, into uh, life that uh, some of us take for granted uh, for a lot of veterans that suffer from post-traumatic stress. Um, after, so uh, it was probably a bit over 12 months, so we'd had whiskey 
and uh, uh, and we actually that was the last time we were in Canada <laughs> as well. And uh, when we came back, we noticed that uh, whiskey wasn't very well, mm. and um, How unfortunately, uh, well, he was a rescue, so the the actual age is. Uh, you know, know it's a bit um, iffy yeah so but we guessed him to be around about um four or five years yep. old um unfortunately he was diagnosed with inoperable cancer no, no. and uh we tried very hard with lots of uh, different ways to uh keep him going but unfortunately we had to we were going to do the kindest thing which is uh was to euthanize him but um he actually decided that uh to do that a lot earlier and um, no. he, he passed away uh, on the 7th of October in 2014. Yep. Um, now, we were part of a, um, another organisation that um, that assisted veterans and that, uh, but we were quite disillusioned at the lack of support that was provided uh, when um, these dogs do pass away. So... Uh, Crazily, we decided. <laughs> to, uh, oh, that's my dogs in the background, by the way. Of course, have to say hello. Um, <laughs> uh, we um, crazily decided to, uh, you know, s- start something, uh, a, a, you know, sort of like a support group. Um, um, and because we weren't trainers, uh, we actually had to do a lot of that ourselves, which was for uh, an organisation that provides. Um, service dogs or assistance dogs, that it um, should actually be providing the training or some sort of guidance as to the training of a dog. So even though we, like both Scott and myself, grew up with, uh, you know, dogs are on farms and and everything and dogs are a a really huge, important part of um, your life when you're growing up on a farm, etc. And they become pretty much like your best friends, um, not just uh, your working uh, friends as well. But uh, so we sort of decided that we would uh, start uh, uh, an organisation. Well, we didn't see it as an organisation. It was just sort of a small sort of group. Um, but uh, And we had a plan, and I always like to tell this story. So we had this business Please. plan. Uh, that um, in our first year we would have like a prototype of, um, you know, having one dog. Yep. And then uh, in our second year we would have three. And uh, then in our third year we would have, uh, say, roughly about six. And then by our fifth year we would have, say, around about 25 um, and sort of build a, a bit of a model there uh, for, for, for um, veterans and originally, the, it was um, mainly just for uh, defence force, uh, mm. mainly army. Uh, and uh, but in the first year, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, plans kind of go a bit haywire. So in our sixth year, so technically, if we were to go by that model, we would only really maybe only have thirty yeah. uh, to forty people in the program. We have over one hundred and twenty-six wow. uh, recipients in the program, and That's that awesome. kind of started building from probably our second year um, and it was because Scott doesn't know how to say no uh, <laughs> to people who are in need and uh, we started to expand into um, not just uh, army but it was all the tri-services 
so uh, Navy and Air Force as well. Uh, we've got quite a few Vietnam veterans in our program. Um, and then in our second year, I was a, um, a guest speaker for a PTSD forum and uh, was approached by uh, a first responder who was a police officer and he said, uh, what a wonderful thing we were doing and what a shame that um, that wasn't being widely offered to, you know, uh, you know other services. Um, it, though there are, I think it's just a matter of people having to look. But um, crazily, I decided <laughs> that we should actually perhaps uh, look at uh, assisting some of the, our first responders yeah. because um, and a lot of those first responders, particularly with police, uh, actually have their services coming from uh, they, they've either served in defence as well mm-hmm. um, and that can include firefighters and et cetera. So we decided to add that into our constitution and uh, so we incorporated uh, first responders and so we then started to see some, uh, some from police, firefighters, paramedics, uh, SES as yeah, well. Wow, that's awesome. And then after, uh, uh, through our face, our Facebook site is actually quite popular and uh, we get a lot of messages and some of them came from correctional officers. So we call them our hidden first responders mm. So because we don't see them um, but they are actually sometimes the, uh, a big line of defence for us yeah, totally. uh, in our society. Um, and uh, some of the stories that come from a lot of them are quite horrific um, and they do suffer quite badly with PTSD, uh, so much so that in America uh, it's quite a massive problem. Um, they are listed almost um, as rising more than what uh, defence um, wow. uh, with people suffering from post-traumatic stress. That's huge. So we then crazily, uh, decided to include uh, correctional officers as um, part of our program. So uh, we have, so now we cater for, for want of a better word, uh, uh, veterans of any service, um, uh, first responders and um, correctional officers. We do get a lot of people still, you know, PTSD in itself is a, uh, you know, people, it, it doesn't have to be, from uh, defence or from first response or anything like that, there are lots of cases of, of uh, post-traumatic stress. Unfortunately, uh, being such a small charity and organisation, uh, our resources are very limited and sure. uh, we're very, very small, so we can only do so much. How many uh, you reckon so others we, are there like you? Because I know there's like there's Young Diggers is, is, is another organisation. How many others do you reckon are out there? Oh, there's quite a few. Um, we sort of, uh, and it's growing. And, and look, it's, it's so good, good. because, um, uh, and all processes are different yeah. uh, in relation to, um, you know, how they actually uh, do their training or what yeah. the guidelines are. Uh, we have decided to set a specific type of model for what we do. Um, and we now do it more on a national-based model as well as looking nice. at the international-based model of uh, training and uh, requirements for having a service dog out in public and uh, maintaining that it's a huge responsibility, Yes. not only to the public but also for the handler teams that go out um, into public. 
So we've kind of grown and uh, uh, we were um, fortunate uh, where uh, the government, um, Department of Social Services, the federal government um, saw some potential in what we were doing and uh, gave us a grant um, wow, awesome. uh, to, um, uh, to build uh, on this model. Uh, unfortunately, because of COVID, <laughs> mm. COVID, uh, that that's kind of uh, even though we're uh, so we're still maintaining it, and this is where actually you're going to get some benefit out of this panel. as one of our trainers and awesome. uh, to us, um, is that uh, we because of uh, what's happened with COVID, the maintenance of that grant will kind of finish uh, next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are putting in for some some more grant funding because we were uh, self funded for the first uh, five years, <coughs> excuse me, um, and uh, mainly we kept uh, a lot of our operation going by uh, donations and uh, a lot of great fundraisers that um, people put on for us and our time. So uh, there's a lot of people that volunteer uh, their time uh, to help us out and uh, myself as a, a, as a trainer, um, uh, I, I still volunteer my time uh, to to doing um, and to assisting uh, a, a lot of the recipients in the program. But what we've decided to do with this grant is uh, is develop. Uh, we we kind of did a, a bit of a, a survey, uh, not just with our recipients in the program, but also with uh, our trainers. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that came out of both of those surveys was uh, the mental health aspect and that uh, training um, uh, people who have post-traumatic stress or uh, anxiety or major depression or even some mobility issues coupled with a lot of that uh, is very different to training uh, someone who just needs their dog trained for any any reason. Mm. Uh, And uh, when I do a lot of the vetting of the trainers. So we have over 20 trainers in our program all over Australia. Uh, that uh, one of the issues was uh, that from the recipient's point of view was that uh, they didn't feel the trainers understood um, some of the triggers mm-hmm. um, and that uh, or how they were feeling or what they needed from their dog. Um, yeah. And from the trainer's point of view, they didn't, to be fair to them, they didn't understand a yeah. lot of uh, what PTSD entailed, how mm. they were triggered by certain things. Um, and what was, uh, I guess, essential as part of um, what, what it meant to be have a dog trained as a service dog. So we took that on board and decided um, that we would create a, a module for trainers um, using that mental health aspect, uh, and we have um, That's so some, cool. and we were going to do it this year again. Mm-hmm. COVID uh, yep. <laughs> kind of kind of put the kibosh on a lot of things, but uh, and we were going to do it as a virtual. But um, now that things have kind of eased up a little bit, which has been great, uh, we have uh, in March um, we will be next year we will be holding uh, what's called a mental health trainers summit. Uh, all expenses paid for our trainers. Nice, nice. <laughs> so, so you've got to keep those. I'll tell you the dates. Uh, I will but do what that. what it'll what it'll essentially be is that uh, on the first day we're going to have um, 
case managers and psychiatrists, uh, psychologists. So we've got some great um, speakers, keynote speakers that are coming as well um, mm. that will actually form a panel of discussion uh, where our trainers can actually understand as much as they like and ask as many questions as they like about mental health um, so that they get an understanding. It can be quite deep, right, because everyone can have different triggers and how do you know those triggers, especially if they are still working on being open about it, like, you know, talking about the recipient, talking about it. So if you don't know, you have to kind of dig a little bit deep without pushing too many triggers at the same time and it can be um, quite difficult for for the average everyday person that uh, isn't equipped with that. Yeah, wow. That's that's so good that you guys are doing that. So we... Uh, are also going to have on the panel. So one thing that we did with our program too was that uh, what we found was that um, some of the recipients in our program, once they attained uh, that full accreditation, they actually wanted to pay it forward and become trainers themselves. Uh, And so we have two scholarships uh, where we actually um, uh, pay for them to actually do a trainer's course Mm -hmm. and then they shadow train with us uh, to become trainers. So we have one who's successfully doing that at the moment. Beautiful. Um, And so they now take on training sessions at Waycol and at Toowoomba for us. Uh, But they'll also form part of the panel of discussion along with Scott. Um, And the reason that we want them to be on the panel is because they are trainers who have Mm -hmm. PTSD. Yes. And so from seeing it from that point of view, um, the trainers, all our trainers can ask as many questions as they like. We're also going to do some simulation uh, role playing as mm-hmm. to what, um, uh, you know, basically uh, what we have seen from uh, from our training and, um, you know, what people have told us. Uh, and sometimes when I do vet a lot of the new trainers that come in, a lot of the time I'll say to them, look, sometimes you'll have uh, someone who comes in that we will say, look, hey, can you help this person out with this specific tri- type of, you know, uh, they're finding it hard to uh, get their dog. Most of the time, I think 90% of the time, the biggest mm-hmm. issue is I can't get my dog to walk loosely. Um, so, you know, we'll ask the trainer to help them with that. Now, sometimes... Uh, and, and I've said this to some of the trainers, if they come up, you, you may notice that they're not really, they're quite quiet or they're not, or they're a little bit resistant. Um, if you can see that and if you sometimes just by saying, hey, how about we just go over and sit down and have a cup of coffee and mm-hmm. um, just have a bit of a chat just to kind of like, um, you know, a meet, as like a meet and greet. Yeah. Um, they the, the recipients actually tend to calm down a little bit because they don't feel like they're under any pressure. It's a normal situation, anything. yeah. And at the same time, I say to the trainers, whilst you're doing that, a lot of that is observational training. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see how they are with the dog. Um, you can, at the, whilst you're talking to them, you can make certain comments like, you know, oh, well, that's really good how your dog is placed like that and da-da-da. But we also understand that a lot of the trainers that um, don't understand certain aspects of what's involved with uh, service dog training or or what's required Um, and that's why we thought this would be a great opportunity uh, for them to come out. I'm also going to launch um, our uh, trainer's manual 
uh, mm-hmm. so that instead of, uh, you know, them asking, what do I do next? How do I do an in-training jacket criteria? How do I do the suitability testing or um, what's involved in the public access certification test? That will all be there for them um, and as a bit of a guide and, and will help them. And it's been great with a lot of the trainers that we've had where they've they've really taken it on board and wanted to do more and COVID unfortunately did put um, quite a barrier there mm-hmm. um, and uh, but I can say that particularly some of our Victorian trainers they were great and did a lot of stuff virtually with our nice. recipients and kept in contact and that's really important. Um, How much do you think COVID affected the doing. recipients in their training and just in general? The ones in Victoria, particularly in uh, Melbourne, it kind of put a bit of a halt in. And like mm. anything, uh, you know, it kind of threw out the routine. Yeah. I think more than anything. But if you ask um, a lot of a lot of the recipients, especially those that are in defence, mm-hmm. um, they didn't mind being they in liked isolation. It. Yeah, <laughs> um, I thought that was going to be the answer. <laughs> and Scott said that uh, he'd been training for this for a long time, so it didn't really worry him at all. It was yeah, actually quite good. Yeah. Uh, not having to go out in public. And- Maybe on one hand it kind of gave a bit of a reset. Maybe on the other hand in terms of we're like, you know, just being, well, I say desensitised the environment or start to adjust back into normal life, it could put a bit of halt in that, so kind of bittersweet maybe. Yeah, and one thing it did force us to do that I'd been wanting to do for a while was uh, create what was, uh, it's called a members-only website uh, where, um, and you're a part of that because we have um, some of your blogs on there, nice. uh, podcasts. Yes, that's and, awesome. Um, and it was great. So it enabled them to interact and to do training and each week uh, we were able to put up something new uh, it also enabled them to do their, um, a, a big part of the training is them actually logging in their training and telling us, uh, you know, how they're progressing um, or, uh, you know, what their issues are because it helps us to um, help them with a trainer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to get a lot of that information for them to see that information, some training tips. And uh, it was great. I did a, a bit of research. And in the UK, um, a lot of their COVID training, so I did the COVID trainers course, that mm-hmm. uh, uh, was quite big in the UK. I imagine it's quite big for them now too because yeah, sure. uh, they're going back into lockdown. Craziness. But uh, it was really, really good. A, a lot of them used, um, they adapted really, really well and became quite innovative in their dog training. Awesome. Um, That's good and, to hear. Uh, what we did was we kind of put it out there for our recipients too, where you can actually simulate and create um, your obstacles, etc., in your own home, as if though you were going out in public and what to expect and things mm-hmm. like that. And there were some great videos on that, and uh, we had a really, really good, great response from it, saying, "Oh, you know, that makes it really easy." Um, you know, I didn't know that you could do that. And and look, so much of the training can be done at home. Um, so COVID wasn't, uh, for want of a better word, wasn't an excuse mm-hmm. to stop training. It was yep. actually a great opportunity for them to hone in uh, on on a lot of, um, you know, the aspects of, you know, refining some yep. of those points of training. And But there was also that, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't 
I did read a little bit into it, but how your dog copes, you know, going out again mm-hmm. <laughs> after COVID or being isolated. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether the dogs felt that it was great not having to go out as much. But another uh, important part that we included in our training was um, using the masks mm-hmm. um, and uh, using that as part of training and actually using it to teach them how they can actually use nonverbal uh, cues yes. and how important that is um, and that they could actually, moving forward without actually having to wear a mask, that they could use that in it like as normal, that you can actually, without having to be very vocal, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in asking for a command or a cue or anything, um, that dogs actually uh, respond really, really well to nonverbal cues as long as they're looking at you, That's of course. <laughs> exactly. Because um, I read a study, it was an Italian study, where they found that 82% of, when they did this study, uh, when dogs 82% of the time will actually listen to us uh, using those verbal cues, but the success rate was in 99% of them uh, responding with non-verbal cues. That's right. Yes, so exactly. we, we decided to incorporate a lot of that and we used COVID as an excuse. Uh, Good work. Know, make make a positive <laughs> out of a negative. Exactly, 100%. Yeah. Look, well, dogs will pick up a, a physical gesture before they pick up the verbal command and depending on how you train it. With most pet dogs, um, pet dog clients, I tell them, if you need to use a gesture at the same time you say the command, like it's fine as long as you're getting success and it works for you. Um, it's mm-hmm. ideal if the dog works just with the verbal command. We have to wean off those gestures. But if you have both, then it can work really well, um, especially when you're teaching deaf dogs and, and training them. Um, yeah. With the gestures, it's pretty easy. The problem is when the dog's away from you, you want the dog to be able to look at you. So there's a few tactile commands or um, techniques that we can use to make that happen. But that's really good that it's getting everyone to think outside the box and, and not be so stuck in a habit. And I think that's what's probably the best that's come out of that situation, which is really good to hear. Particularly with service dog training because when because they're going out into public uh if if they can use less verbal Mm. commands is the best because they don't a lot of them will tell you they don't want to bring any attention to themselves okay yes exactly Um, i think they have enough attention as it is the fact that they've got a dog uh, in a jacket um it's it's like a you know um some people don't know how to read, uh, mm-hmm. don't touch, don't, yeah. you know. Uh, it's a novelty. So sure. uh, if sometimes, though, we've had people who have gone to a lot of public places and they've been able to, um, so their dogs are kind of, a, you know, a lot of people don't even notice that they're mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, and so if they were to use, we talk a lot about tone and that in our training and, and that's so uh, we don't want, if they can use less verbal mm-hmm. um, commands, great. Um, and uh, particularly when out in public because the less attention they have, the better. Perfect. And look, and, that, and that's so good about adapting the training specifically to, to each recipient, which is, which is super important. And how do you go about choosing dogs for the program? What is it that you're specifically looking for and how much does it differ between each individual case or recipient that you're working with? Uh, yeah, so a lot of uh, when we first started, we were actually going to have um, sort of a specific dogs in the program, sort of kind of like what the guide dogs do. They've specifically got Labradors or Golden Retrievers. But what we found was a lot of people have 
had already formed a bond with their own dog. Um, and so they wanted a program that would actually take that in. And that's actually easier for us because uh, it eliminates, you know, having to uh, get them to form that bond with the dog uh, that they've already got. We do have a lot of people coming in with um, uh, that go and get puppies and that um, they've already got a breed in mind. So obviously we don't have any of the restricted breeds Mm -hmm. um, as per legislation. Uh, We do do a suitability and temperament test for anybody coming in. Uh, So uh, particularly with people who um, it's a little bit more extensive for those people who have rescue dogs that are over a certain age uh, because they're very unpredictable and a lot of rescue places don't have enough information as to the history of that dog. So uh, we have a suitability test that we run through um, to ensure that, uh, you know, that the dog uh, would have the making or is trainable to become a service dog. So they don't have to be perfect mm-hmm. as long as they're trainable. But if they, they show signs of, you know, um, aggressiveness or anything like that and even, uh, you know, from changing from a handler to another handler and uh, that it's not something... They just can't be directed away from it. It's not to say that they're a failed dog, but that's going to take a lot of work. Exactly. And we have to look at the person's ability to, uh, you know, put in that time for that work. It is it is a rehabilitation process, our program, where part of that rehabilitation is in them having fun in training their own dog. That's a great achievement for a lot yeah. of them. Um, you know, where they say, look, you know, I taught my dog to do this and I taught my dog to do that. And it's great instead of having someone else do that for them. But if you're going to come in with a dog, that's going to be very difficult from the start. Uh, And you've already got certain issues, um, you know, particularly with anxiety or depression, and uh, which can build into a lot of frustration and, and kind of compound those feelings. That's going to make it very, very difficult to train. So we exactly. generally try and, uh, you know, before people come into the program, so we have a vetting pro- uh, process with them um, that uh, in relation to the dog, uh, we have an age limit as well, uh, generally because the service working life of a dog not the actual life of the dog mm-hmm. uh can be up uh, from 10 to 12 years so okay. if they're going to come in with a dog that's eight years old that's uh you know mm-hmm. it, it's going to be too old because uh we our program isn't where you come in and guarantee that within six months you're going to have a, mm-hmm. a service dog yeah. um we have to uh, because of the nature of the people that we assist, um, a lot of them can go into hospital. Um, a lot of them uh, have uh, quite a few issues um, that can sometimes it halts their training. Um, and uh, so we have to be very, very considerate of that. Uh, so being very self-paced, uh, we have it where it's between 18 months to two years to have a dog that can be can get up to that full certification. But we've got people in our program who have been with us, um, you know, probably three or four years and still haven't, you know, sort of achieved that status, Mm -hmm. but they're alive and they're still in and they're still enjoying, uh, you know, training their dog and they're committed. And um, that's probably the biggest part of our program is 
that they're not giving up, which which tells us a lot. Exactly. And um, it's a you know as they get closer and closer, it's a huge thing for them. So that. When you say certified, a- we're talking about passing the public access test. Yeah, so yeah. we're not state-based, so mm-hmm. we don't fit into the um, guide hearing and assistance dog uh, public access test there. Look, that's a, there's another topic for a discussion one day. Yeah. Um, it, it is, uh, we chose to uh, have our program uh, as under the Disability Discrimination Act, so it's a federal uh, legislation uh, under assistance dogs. Uh, so it's Section 54 and Section 9 of the Disability Discrimination Act. Uh, we are also under uh, International Association of Assistance Dog Partners where they have a very strict um, uh, public access certification standard. So we follow according to those standards, uh, which is also followed by um, uh, Assistance Dogs International, of which we are um, uh, wanting to uh, and we're going to um, uh, do the candidacy program resistance dogs international um and we're hoping to achieve that um early next year and that means if uh, everyone fulfills those requirements that dogs are allowed in any area or in any any space but, like let's go a little yeah bit that. yeah it's it's a it's a very great it's area slippery, here. right yeah here in Australia, uh, yeah. and pretty much any dog that ha- can achieve the necessary standards that are under the Disability Discrimination Act uh, can technically go out into public areas. So uh, that requires a person to actually, A, have a disability that um, it, where they're treating specialist or uh, and, and the disability um, uh, requires them, so to speak, to have that assistance of an animal. Um, mm-hmm. so, and I say animal because it's actually assistance animals and not just assistance dogs. Yeah. So it can be a cat, mm-hmm. a parrot, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, it, so it kind of falls under there. There are certain standards and it's a very grey area. Uh, the state, some state-based legislation has what's called a PAT test and they're, uh, they're actually quite, uh, minimum standards uh, for us mm-hmm. um, when we look at what um, the international standards are, uh, and we and we call ours instead of assistance dogs service dogs because mm-hmm. the dogs have to provide a service. I mean that's a really big important part of our program is that um, these dogs are uh, medical aids. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, uh, and we often get asked, you know, oh, I'd like to have a companion dog. And I hate the term because uh, a dog is always a companion. Yeah, isn't that everyone's dog? Like pet. if you're a pet dog? Yeah. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and we usually say to people, oh, we, we, we don't, our organisation doesn't train pets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we, we can train pets, but um, if you're after an assistance dog or a service dog, yes. that's what we do. It's not companion dogs. How can we say the difference between assistance and service? Where's the, where's the differences? Well, we, we choose to call them service because they have to provide uh, three service tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, assistance is uh, can be a, a, in itself to a very great area as well. So, um, you know, assistance in what? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's nothing specific, mm-hmm. whereas when we say service, it's actually providing a service. So okay. you can actually kind of pigeonhole that one in there and say, yeah, look, um, it provides 
uh, a service such as uh, for someone who has mobility issues, uh, the dog can provide, uh, you know, to be a brace. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, also retrieve objects, uh, retrieve medication, um, you know, etc. So there's there is a bit of a difference. There's some great reading on you know the difference between um, what those tasks are. We have um, so we provide people when they do ask what is what do you mean by service tasks and uh, under. Um, uh, in America, there's just under 200 uh, service tasks that a dog can can assist a person with uh, yeah, psychologically well. for psychological mm-hmm. reasons. So that's yeah. uh, for depression, uh, PTSD, etc. But there are actually over 400 tasks that a dog can perform, um, including mobility and and any other assistance with disabilities. Dogs are amazing. They can do uh, so much. So even though we ask for three, um, you know, we have some people whose dogs can probably perform six or seven tasks and they're very, they can be very, very small. Um, It's amazing that what one thing a dog can do can make the biggest difference to that person's life. And uh, it's things that a lot of us can take for granted uh, but uh, that a person can't do but a dog can do mm-hmm. and can provide uh, that uh, independence to that person and to keep them going. That's a task. Yes. And so uh, under our guidelines, um, so the three tasks, uh, one has to be on cue. So um, uh, if, they're, if they're out in public and uh, they require them to, to do something, that, and they can do it on cue, the dog actually has to demonstrate that it can do it on cue. The other two tasks don't necessarily have to be because I want to make a really important point about service dogs. A lot of people seem to think that um, a service dog is only used uh, for when they're out, um, but in actual fact a service dog's uh, main tasks are actually performed at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the biggest service that they can provide is uh, the not, and it's not just the companionship that they provide at home, but it's a lot of the tasks that they perform, such as waking them from uh, nightmares, uh, things like retrieving and reminding uh, them of taking medication, uh, so many other uh, tasks that they can perform. And a lot That's of that amazing. is done at home. Yeah, um, nice. So uh, even though uh, a lot of, um, sometimes it's just the ability for them to go out and actually, uh, you know, to go and see their specialist is a big thing for a lot yes. of people. It's not not just about going to a shopping centre or flying or being able to fly with their dogs or anything like that. Um, it's until you have been in an organisation like this, uh, you have no idea of the different types of needs that people have um, yeah, totally. and uh, that sometimes just being able to walk out the front door is uh, is a big win for a lot of people. Um, and whereas with others, it could be being able, the ability to, you know, fly, you know, to a different state to see family. Mean uh, crowded, so crowded areas, crowded places and things like that too. Yeah, it's reintegrating back and, um, you know, it's a family thing like uh, where they feel very isolated, not being part of, a social network with family, 
um, it can be quite, you know, debilitating for a lot of them. So having a dog to be able to assist them with that, um, you know, means that they can reintegrate back. It gives them that independence, which is, which is fantastic. A lot of our dogs are, go to hospital with um, their recipients, which is great. Yeah. Um, and it actually lowers a lot of the hospital visits as well. So it's interesting mm. seeing what, what sort of happens, but the fact that a lot of them are attending to their medical needs um, is, is really big for us. It's something that um, we see as really, really important. Um, and part of the grant that we received was in showing that um, this is what these dogs can do. This is how it is actually helping uh, a lot of them. Um, but we also put responsibility on each of the handlers that it is really up to them too. Um, it's the dog training, getting them to train their dog themselves with our assistance and with the assistance of trainers, it's distracting them from other things that, uh, you know, may be harmful or would have been harmful in the past to them. And do you think their, um, their, their commitment to the training has given them a different sense of purpose? Like, you know, having a, a responsibility to your family or to a responsibility to yourself is one thing, but having the responsibility for, for, for your dog is, is so it's, it triggers a different form of compassion, you know, like the dog cannot oh, do any yeah. other thing for itself. It can't even feed itself unless it was able to hunt. So for us to, um, and for the recipients to be able to, take that on and then to take it with full seriousness because you have people like yourself going, Hey, have you been training your dog? And this is what you need to do if you really want to achieve that. And, and a lot of service people are probably very goal orientated. They're like, you tell me the mission and we get it done where maybe having yeah. to do it on your own can be really difficult, but the way that they can learn that leadership or maybe regain it for themselves is by being their dog's leader, even though they're taking, taking on the mission from, higher orders and that could be from the trainers and from 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 others as well uh, particularly with a lot of uh our veterans that are um that are single or by themselves mm. um you know it's it's uh massive for them like it is it it they may not have children and that but exactly. it is very much that they've got this responsibility yeah. but even with i think i found that um particularly with scott uh, when uh, he received whiskey. So prior to that, uh, he was just not in a place to want to do anything, want to go and, uh, you know, they do uh, turn towards, you know, certain vices and things like that. Once you get a dog, it becomes a responsibility uh, and it becomes a great responsibility really, mm. but it sort of forced him to say, well, I have to get up in the morning. Yeah. I have to yeah. go and take this dog for a walk. I have to, you know, attend to its needs. And it's good. There's a shift that happens, I think, in their, their psyche that, that says, you know, I, I've got to do this, you know, or else, you know, what's this, you know, this dog can't do this for itself, so I have to do it. So I think just that act of having to move, uh, having to do something can create a certain shift in, yeah. in people. I'll leave that to um, the, uh, our uh, psychiatrists and yeah. psychologists and that to understand uh, or to what make sense it? of why that actually works. But I think um, uh, when you're given a responsibility uh, like a, an animal mm. um, to take care of, that it does sometimes begrudgingly, I think, mm. you know, it yeah. forces you to have to get up and do something. Gives a good um, sense of purpose. 
Yeah, but it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad mm. thing. And I think after a while, you know, uh, because a dog um, just absolutely loves that you've done this very small thing like feed it yeah. <laughs> or whatever, it's, um, it's, it's more grateful than if, uh, you know, you've only got, you've only got little, you've got a baby, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. 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 Wait until they're older. Yeah. Uh, you can feed them. And they're not that grateful. Um, and they'll, and they'll still bite you. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the expectation becomes a little bit higher after a while. So, but with dogs, it's just so easy. Like, you know, they, um, they're so grateful for everything that you do. And um, it, in our training, um, you know, we teach them about, you know, um, which is quite funny for a lot of our veterans, you know, when I say you've got to use a happy voice. <laughs> um, and they kind of go... Yeah, I don't okay. know what that means. Okay. Um, yes. But it, when, when we do see some of the videos coming through on their training logs and they're using that happy voice, I have to kind of really hold back a bit of a giggle, but I sort of think to myself, but it worked. Yes. Um, and it has lowered, you know, like that, you know, and they go, oh, that really works, you know, mm. instead of just using this monotone and that their dog's actually looking and quite happy with them that they've, got this attention and I, I keep right. reminding people all the time a dog absolutely loves to hear our voice yeah and uh no more so than when we're happy yeah. um and that instead of using a harsh tone all we have to be is quite neutral when we mm -hmm. don't want them to do a certain thing or um you know just don't yell at them don't do anything just be very monotone because dogs are amazing. They can tell the difference with our oh, tone. Yeah. They know when oh, we're yeah. happy and they know when we're not. For so, sure. um, you know, so we do a lot of little things like that and it's great to see how they take that on board and learn from it. Yeah, totally. I remember um, the first training experience that I ever had was with Ace, like, you know, some 11 years ago or something, 10 years ago, and I was – I went to the local agility club and Margaret, I may have told this story before and, and Margaret was there. She was the head trainer and she's like, all right. And I was eight, 19 at the time. And she's like, Oh, awesome. Cool. All right. Before we get started, you got to show me your, your girl voice. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> My voice broke when I was 11 years old. So like, I've had a deep voice forever. And, and, and I'm like, okay, yeah, good dog. Good dog. And she's like, no, that I'll come back and you got to show me. And it was literally one whole hour until she, <laughs> she finally got out of me. Good boy. He's like, good, good boy. And the more animated you are, it really does, um, you know, um, engage with the dog. Your dog becomes a lot more excited to, to be with you and to follow you rather than, yeah, as you said before, being very monotone and barking commands at your dog, especially when you want them to jump over, over hoops and, and through tunnels and, and, you know, and doing complex yeah. sort of um, experience like that. So, and a lot of the times I found, cause when I first started with training or just having a dog period was that I was very, my timing was great and I was very disciplined with my dog, but I was too intense. I was too masculine and I had to learn the feminine qualities of myself, you know, to be more compassionate and to use empathy, to see things from the dog's perspective. And, you know, and when I was 17 and, 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 and I, I was attacked and stabbed and, you know, that triggered on a few different, a bit of darkness within my own psyche and which, you know, tied into my whole experience of having Rocky and how he helped me, et cetera, was that. And then especially working more down towards a training side of it and getting more specific is that 
you have to think outside of yourself rather than trying to take the world on for yourself all the time. You know, not every single experience is a battle. You don't have to win every single thing. You need to be more in, in, in flow with it, you know, and, and work just like how you would work with the platoon or you'd work with your team. You say, that's what you want to do with your dog. You know, you're not trying to dominate the dog. Um, you're trying to be the leader so you can guide him and then teach him. And then if you can see it works, especially when you drop your guard and you can become embrace some of that feminine quality of yourself if you're a man and maybe if it was a female then maybe embracing more of your masculine side to be more firm and to yeah, and to yeah. um see things through so you know it does work that whole yin yang perspective on both sides and that's why i think that's the whole reason why i got into dogs was yeah i'm passionate about dogs but i'm but i really love people you know and people can have a better life because they own a dog just in everyday life i can only imagine how much it it helps the recipients and 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 we've had heaps of conversations. i thought well, we have to record some of these conversations because we've gone pretty deep before and to um to show to everyone else that dogs do provide a different role than just the traditional jobs that they're providing jobs on a deeper level and, and it's improving people's lives um literally yeah it's it's been really great because um we've uh, we don't ask for thanks for what we do because we look at it as um, they're actually doing a lot of it themselves. Um, yes. But I don't think a lot of them have realised how capable they are and that they've still got something to give. Um, and uh, it's been great with some where we've been able to get them back to work, um, nice. perhaps not not in the same capacity that they used to, but that that they can do something like that um, has been really, really rewarding. And uh, for some, it, it's just, you know, that uh, we love to get the messages and, and saying, you know, it's made a real difference. Uh, it's a, And it can be the smallest difference. I think it's taught us to be very, very humble mm. and not to take a lot of things for granted um, and that uh, sometimes all it takes is um, the love of a good dog and uh, proper training. Uh, yeah. We do ask them to be very, very patient, um, you know, that dogs are like a blank canvas and um, that it's what we put uh, into it that can make the biggest difference and uh, not to give up. Um, and probably one of the most important, particularly when you're training with recipients, is never train them when you're in a bad mood because mm. it's not going to work. Yes. Um, you, you have to do it when you're in a sort of in a good place and for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes is, is great and always, always leave on a high note, um, yes. you know, when you've got that success go. And um, it's quite funny when I've done training sessions and uh, it could be halfway through and I'll say to one particular recipient, you've done really well, now go home. And yeah. they'll look at me and they'll go, what? And I'll go, go home, go home now. Just go yeah, home. <laughs> you're, you're really good. You've, you've ended on a really high note. Just go. And they go, oh, okay. And off they go. And, uh, you know, it, it's really good for them. Like, That's awesome. Know, to to, That's to really learn cool. that, that they have to learn to do that and um, that it, it's not a timing mm. thing. Like, you know, it's um, – but what happens is that um, because they do that, they start to learn uh, a bit of a consistency, a bit of a pattern that's happening and the dogs, uh, they get, because uh, we teach them all about how dogs offer behaviours as well and what to do with that when that, that happens and to kind of grasp onto it and uh, logging in training is really, really important um, so that they can see for themselves as they look back 
um, as to how far they've, what they've actually achieved. Um, and so they, at first, you know, it could be like pulling teeth, trying to get them to log in training. Uh, but uh, I think they kind of see the benefit after a while and go, I understand why you're asking for that and how that actually helps um, in picking up certain things. And uh, But it's also a requirement of our program as well that they have to log in training yes. because um, for any public access, uh, uh, particularly if they're going into hospital. So we've got a couple of dogs that go to university as mm-hmm. well. Small um, dogs. One is graduating next week <laughs> nice. with their recipient, which will That's be nice. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing those photos. Uh, but uh, verification is part of uh, under the Disability Discrimination Act. They actually have to prove that you've trained your dog. Mm. Uh, so um, our role is in um, advocating on their behalf. Um, so instead of them carrying around a logbook or whatever, that uh, we we're the advocacy service that says, yes, they have logged in their training. That training has been assessed. Those issues or, or whatever they've done has been, you know, looked at. Um, yes, they can do this. Yes, they have hit these markers and uh, et cetera. And it's great. And it's all, all they carry with them is an ID yeah. that tells them that they've basically done all of that uh, and that, um, you know, their dogs are uh, well-groomed. Um, and uh, that there are treatments and, and that are up to date is all done by an ID number mm-hmm. that we provide them on the card. A lot of our service dog training sessions, uh, and this is part of what we're going to do in the summit as well next year, is um, uh, so we actually do a lot of simulation. Uh, so we uh, do real-life situations with them, uh, you know, so we can take a park bench <laughs> for example, and we can say to them, just I want you to imagine that this is like you're catching a train. or um, And so we teach them things like um, how to get their dogs to do an under command, um, how to sit, and then we pretend to be the distracting, really annoying people that get on trains. Um, we have That'll other be people fun. Called, yeah, we get, <laughs> we get people called unpaid actors <laughs> to come and annoy them um, and it's quite funny watching some of their reactions sometimes. And I say to them all the time, be prepared because this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And what we're teaching you or training, uh, part of this training, is in how you actually manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said dogs, uh, you know, they react, they don't respond. Um, and that's really important in training. We have to be able to manage that for them so they uh, can understand what to do. So you are going to be approached by some really annoying people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are going to be put in situations that uh, make you feel uncomfortable. Your dog may react or be spooked because they're not robots. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, people are going to come out of left field and try and distract your dog. Uh, so we're going to simulate what could happen and yep. what has happened in mm-hmm. the past and we're going to show you what you should do, yeah, nice. uh, how to best manage it because when we train, we're not actually training the dog, we're training mm-hmm. you. Exactly. And uh, your role um, and uh, you don't have a responsibility to have to tell people why you have a dog. Um, you know, businesses are allowed to ask um, to a certain extent, uh, but they can't ask what your disability is. Um, Can they refuse? Like that. Refuse entry? 
Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Not if they're um, the, at the ID. So we actually have expiries on our IDs mm-hmm. too. Um, and uh, that's um, the responsibility of the recipient is that they maintain their training, maintain, uh, you know, their treatment uh, logs as well uh, because that's a responsibility that they owe not only to us but actually to the, to the public as well when they're taking their dogs out, um, that they've continued their training um, and uh, a business owner can't refuse them. They've got to have a really good reason, and the only reason, and even then, so we, we have simulated this. So, for example, if they go into a restaurant uh, and the business owner says, sorry, you can't have dogs in here, um, they, uh, well, uh, yes, I can. Uh, and sometimes the business owner may say, oh, look, well, I've got an allergy to dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the person says, oh, that's okay. Can you just put me somewhere where I don't actually won't have to interact with you? Mm-hmm. Okay? They still have a right to be in that public area. Uh, it's actually the business that actually has to accommodate for that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing as uh, people who have a fear of dogs as well. They don't actually have to be in the same area. They can actually just be in a different area. You have to mm-hmm. learn to live with, I mean, people have uh, the most annoying one I think that we get is uh, it's not a guide dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, guide dogs have been around for, you know, nearly 100 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, service dogs are exactly the same. Assistance dogs are exactly the same. Um, there's no difference between them. Guide dogs are there to guide the blind. Uh, or that's their service, are, yeah. That's, that's their particular service. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, an assistance dog or a service dog has others. I mean, there's diabetic dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, diabetic alert dogs, seizure alert dogs, yeah. uh, you know, hearing dogs. What about so, a therapy I mean, dog? What, what's that then? So a therapy dog is different in that. Uh, so I, when I explain it to people, so I'm actually a therapy dog trainer as well. Nice. So uh, they're mainly, so when I train the therapy dogs, it's actually for uh, um, psychologists mm-hmm. uh, and for uh, institutions that um, have more than one person. So I always uh, explain it to people as a service dog or an assistance dog is for one person. It's yeah. actually providing that service or assistance to one person only. Mm-hmm. And a therapy dog is actually providing uh, a service and assistance to more than one person. Yeah. Uh, and not owned by the recipients then. It would be owned by an organisation or someone else. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes people okay. actually uh, can own a therapy dog and it's providing that, a particular therapy. So they're used mm-hmm. mainly in hospitals, uh-huh, uh, yeah. schools, okay. um, aged care. Um, there's lots of um, – and uh, a lot of psychologists use them uh, in uh, their practice. So mm-hmm. uh, the first person that ever used it actually was Sigmund Freud. Oh. So he used his own dog, and that's how he found that dogs were very therapeutic because when he, he allowed his dog to come up to a patient, he found that whatsoever that patient was, uh, and it's that ta- what we call tactile stimulation, well, because dogs' ears are great to pat, yeah. uh, that the person actually opened up more. Uh-huh. So he found this a really interesting experiment and found that the use of dogs was really, really important. Uh, so, but he didn't, I mean, it was other people that carried it on from there, um, but um, he was actually the first to document that, that dogs are actually quite good in uh, therapy, um, in allowing people to open up. Hmm. Uh, so it, it, dogs have, have a great benefit in, um, you know, 
um, they pick up on people's emotions really, really well. Uh, and we teach a lot of that too in our sessions too, that, um, you know, when a dog sort of becomes a little bit, uh, you know, they move around a little bit or they're starting to become a, like what we perceive, I think sometimes to be, oh, you know, they're not behaving, they're not sitting when they're, they're not laying down. We actually say to them what they're actually doing is uh, they're picking up on a chemical reaction or an emotion that's happening within that person's body. Uh, and so we normally ask that person, how did you feel? How were you feeling at the time that your dog was doing that? And they say, I really, really didn't want to be there. Guess what? I think your dog knows that and I think you should take the lead from your dog and just go. Oh, is that okay? Absolutely. Just go because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, your dog is very intuitive. Yes. Um, and uh, that's why they provide that service uh, to a lot of us. Um, you know, we need to probably, and I, I do teach a lot too on body language. It's so important to read, uh, you know, a dog's body language to understand what's actually happening um, and that uh, if we actually learn that language that we will actually learn a lot more about ourselves as well yes, um, yes. Is, is really important. Well, they say here body language is the canvas to the subconscious. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. I remember talking about that was, um, you know, when I was a bit younger, maybe more hot-headed, not that I don't get angry ever, but um, <laughs> let's just say, Lisa gave an example. It was like Spades would be in the room with me. My mum would say something. I would probably respond back. We'd get into an argument. I'd get angry. Spades gets up, walks away. I find him and he's in distress. And I never like ever mistreated him, but he didn't like it when I got really tempered. So, and I'll see this as an ongoing thing. And, you know, he was quite young. And there was one time where someone would say something, whoever it was, and then I would respond back and he gets up to leave the room and I'm like, oh, I'm about to get mad. I go, interesting. So yeah. I'll take him. I go for a walk yeah. to settle him because I didn't want him to get anxious. I came back in a different frame of mind, addressed the conversation in a different, um, in a different way. And that's how, and then over the years, he's, he just turned 10 last week. So he's been a real therapy in my own life in different ways to be able to know where I'm about, where I'm at, because I didn't know that process until I got mad and I started screaming and becoming the Hulk was that I gone, Oh, I'm angry, but you're too late now. You have to do a different technique to calm yourself down. It's better to catch it before you reach that threshold. And spades was that, that dog. Cause Ace would just lay there and didn't even care. Right. So each dog's different. But he was exactly, able to, yeah. to show me that. That's great. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah and then, and then from there, I would <laughs> perfect. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll put it out there for the world. But I guess also another thing is that, and then over time, it taught me where my triggers were. So then I would hear it and then I'd feel it because I've, I was obviously conditioned by spades to go, hey, where's spades now? Which then showed me, oh, I know I'm about to get mad because I'm looking for spades to see if he's reacting. So then that's how I was able to con start to identify it myself. And most days we, or most times we're good at it, but you know sometimes you slip up, right? Um, and yeah. but I think well, that's, it, that's so cool that you said that. Um, that um, that that's how we should be seeing it. And then if we can then observe a change in behaviour, and then we have to try to fix a behaviour, whether it's the dog is responded to something that he gets scared of. Let's say he's a little bit timid of a truck going past and every other aspect is good but we need to do a little bit of desensitization to trucks mm. um, and through that process we learn desensitization and um and i remember one of my mentors because i would say to him this was like a couple of years after um, me being attacked was that if i'd walk down the street and i had eye contact with another male i would always look away every single time and i never gave that eye contact 
not thinking that the threat was direct, but it was very subconscious. It was just a very fear response. And, um, and I'm like, how do I fix that? Like, it's just really annoying me. And he goes, every time someone looks at you, give them a smile, maybe give them a nod. You can even say hello if you like. And I tried that. So I'd walk down the street, I'd get eye contact, hi, and a little nod. And 99% of people nod and say hi back. It's contagious, especially if you pop a smile with it. But through time, I didn't realize this at the time, but when I'm looking back on it was that that was counter conditioning. I counter conditioned myself to the fear of being stared at by a male or just looked at, not stared at. And then me by defusing it by creating contact of giving a nod and saying hello. And now like there's no issue. So it was, um, it's interesting that how we try to treat ourselves, the fundamentals of, of behavioral science is congruent amongst all, all of our mammals. However, applications different, um, obviously, yeah. but, um, but it's so cool. And what would you say the most common thing you have a dog assigned to a recipient for what's the most common issues, I guess, or maybe top two or three. All right. Well, post-traumatic stress is probably the biggest. Yeah. Uh, where it's uh, so we have a lot of people who um, once once they've left service, uh, they find that's a, that's a massive thing. Um, for some of them, it feels like they've uh, they're not useful anymore, um, and it can compound a lot of that uh, stress. Uh, there's a lot of triggers that happen. Everyone is different in relation to um, uh, what triggers their post-traumatic stress. So, uh, yeah, probably the biggest uh, thing that a lot of them come uh, to us is uh, and you know, how how a dog can actually help uh, them with that. And probably the biggest task is uh, in um, a dog assisting by grounding them. Uh, so uh, a lot of that is contact, um, you know, showing how the dog can ground them, particularly when they go out. So uh, and also um, uh, there's that, uh, I guess, a lot of them when they do go out, they don't uh, like people kind of coming into their space and there's a, a perception that, you know, they can feel quite closed in. So one of the tasks, that's a very simple task actually too, to, to train a dog is to, for them to create a buffer zone mm-hmm. for them. So, um, but it's in how you get them to do that buffer zone. And we like to say to people, because they like to use the word, I'd like my dog to protect me. Well, actually you can't use that word <laughs> because we don't t- train protection dogs. Yeah. Not allowed to. Um, but it could be in... Um, so when we say to them, like, you know, for a dog to create that buffer uh, for you, so it's putting space between, because a lot of them are quite hypervigilant, mm-hmm. um, is uh, they can, uh, th- that can be an on-cue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they're somewhere and, uh, you know, people starting to approach them, they can actually have a dog uh, go to the front. So yep. they can say front. All we train them to do is for the dog to actually look at the recipient, not yep. to look out. Because yes. we've said to a lot of people, creating a buffer and having your dog looking at the people that are actually so approaching is actually inviting them to oh, come that, and back that too. Dog. Yeah, that's true. Right? Particularly yeah. if your dog is very nice, fluffy and that's very inviting and, you know. So I said, whereas, um, you know, if you actually get them to, um, to create that buffer, 
um, uh, in, in the reverse so that they're actually looking at you, which is, and that in itself can create, um, uh, can provide, um, you know, uh, a bit of assistance for that, yeah. for that. And also because they're able to touch the dog and, mm-hmm. um, you know, using that tactile stimulation um, as well. Um, it's funny because we often say to a lot of them, because uh, I think the biggest problem a lot of them have is they don't like uh, people approaching them um, and they don't like to be stopped. So a lot of them, uh, for a lot of them, just actually getting out is a big thing and they just want to be able to go and go from here to there without having to be asked a thousand questions. Some, a small minority though, have said um, that it's really good for them because mm-hmm. it's allowing them to have that social interaction yeah. back slowly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important, something the public needs to know, that it's um, uh, if I had to say to the public, if you do see a service dog team together and you really can't help yourself, the polite thing to do is always to make sure that you look at the person and talk to the person and not the dog because mm-hmm. uh, it's quite rude, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the dog's not going to really answer your back for a start. Um, but it's um, for that person, it could it could be a big thing. And yeah, not yeah. to feel... It's good advice. Uh, you know, not to sort of be insulted or think that that person is being rude because mm-hmm. uh, we do a lot of that in a lot of our mock testing. We actually ask people to actually go up and approach and not to feel disheartened or that that person is being rude when they say, look, um, sorry, no, uh, my dog is working. Uh, we actually have uh, these cards now, Scott, and it's a bit crude for the. So he calls them F off cards. I think you can <laughs> fill in the blanks there. Um, but they're actually information cards mm-hmm. that, uh, and we give them to the recipients when they do have their in training jackets uh, mm-hmm. to, if you don't want to um, sort of approach people, or people have approached you and you really don't want to talk, but you feel like you're you know, kind of have to, the best thing to do is to pull out one of these cards. By the time you've handed it to that person and they start reading, you've got the opportunity to walk away. Leg it. Uh, Love it. Right, just leg it. Yeah. But one of the interesting things, I was doing a training log assessment this morning and I had a bit of a chuckle again because uh, when I was doing a session, uh, when Scott had whiskey, he used to talk to whiskey all the time. Um, It was his constant companion. Uh, on walks like you know he'd just talk and talk and talk and you know if a dog was barking on the other side of the fence he'd just you know kind of have a conversation oh don't worry about that dog blah 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 blah. Um, and what we said was you know and Scott calls it um, as part of the training guideline talk shit to your dog Mm -hmm. always talk to your dog because Mm -hmm. it creates a wonderful bond and it's also really good because your dog tends to stay with you instead Mm -hmm. of going ahead so as part of a training process for, you know, dogs that tend to pull ahead or, you know, if they've got issues with loose leash walking, dogs love our attention. They mm-hmm. love to hear our voice. So, you know, by actually talking shit to them, you tend to. But I didn't realise that it actually had another benefit until yeah. it was pointed out by a recipient mm-hmm. who said, not only that, but people think you're crazy and yeah. so they're less likely to want to approach you. That's awesome. <laughs> thought, I love it. It's a really good point. I'm yeah. going to use that one too. So I like to use the and think, Definitely. look, if this, if this has helped one person, if I put it out, that's actually going to help someone else. So yeah. 
you know, it's it's a it's a good thing like for them to sort of learn and they go, ah, oh, that's really handy to know. Um, yeah, but yeah, totally. look, we we do want the public to kind of respect a lot of these people's rights, and you know, some some of them really don't want to talk. I just want them to think of it like this. Uh, some of these people have had to, the amount of energy that it's taken for these people to actually go out to do something like that is massive. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last thing they want is to be drilled on why do they have a dog? Oh, you you don't look like you're disabled Mm -hmm. or, you know, what's wrong with you or... um, or the most some some of the most oh, I used to have a dog like this. No, and, always, you know. that's classic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everybody used to have a cattle dog. Everybody yeah. used to have a shepherd. Every, yeah. So it's quite it's quite common. But look, it's good for the public. Um, we we often uh, every time we've done testing and that um, the public have been amazing. Like they've really been um, not. I'm not going to use the word sympathetic but they've been uh, empathetic more yep. than anything and yep. um, they've uh, been highly respectful, uh, have not asked any questions, and that's really good for the recipients too because then they can feel that they can go out without having to be judged um, because one mm. thing we remind them is um, your dog, and part of the training, it's always ongoing training, your dog has to be bomb-proof, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it is going to be startled. It is going to come across a lot of uh, situations and that. So, but if you can feel a level of comfort and you know what to do, um, you know, and you can manage that, and we always tell them too, it's okay to walk away too when you start to feel exactly. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's your indicator that it's, you know, not everything is urgent. You can walk away. It's also teaching your dog trust that, um uh, that uh, if you can sense that they're not comfortable and that you can walk away uh, from it, then they'll, you know, they'll start to have that level of trust with you as well, and it'll totally. work for them um, as as time goes on. Hundred percent. My baby's just woken up. Not that I have to go, but Aww. if you hear him in the background, that's him going, "Hey, someone get me out of my cot." And mum's duty today um i've got a couple <laughs> of questions here that i don't want to forget about first of all what type of dog do you reckon is the most common that are part of the the program breed i'm talking oh that's a that's a hard we're, we're starting to get surprisingly we're actually starting to get a lot more labradors nice. coming in cool uh but uh we do have quite a few german shepherds mm-hmm. um uh uh, cattle dogs, kelpies mm-hmm. as well. A lot Would of you say collies. medium to large size are, are more, uh, are more yeah. beneficial? Yeah. I went, look, when people come in to the program and I know certain people have breed preferences, um, we ask them, we, uh, and I think that's why we ask them about the service tasks. Um, so if they come in and they've got a small dog, uh, we say to them, what task would you like your dog to do? You know, because it's going to be pretty hard for them to do any mobility tasks yep. if they're small. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, I mean, we provide um, equipment to assist in those mobility tasks as well, like um, brace handles and uh, bridge handles, but um, you can't put them on small dogs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no suppliers yeah. actually make them for small dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not going to be much of a buffer. Yeah, exactly. Either. I was thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, so we 
we do ask people don't when you're looking to get a service dog or wanting to bring a service dog into or a dog into the program to be trained to be a service dog uh, think of what service it is that you want that dog to do because that becomes really really important um, as, as part of that training program mm-hmm. so that's why we do have more people coming in with more um, uh, medium yeah. uh, uh, dogs size dogs and the working dogs are really good they're very mm. smart yeah um, they'll work yeah. as well um, and sometimes we find that through a lot of that uh, what most people may find really boring training of the sit drop and stay mm-hmm. actually very mentally stimulating for yes. the dog and can actually Certainly. really really tire them out because mm-hmm. we put them into uh, different scenarios of how they have to use that basic obedience um, by the end of a session uh, those dogs will just pass out. Um, so it. we, have to, and, and even when we do a lot of, you know, uh, if we go um, on a train um, uh, with them, going to cafes, shopping centres um, or any other areas that are public access, uh, and it could be an hour of training, um, those dogs work really, really well. But uh, it's almost like they've rounded up sheep yeah. because uh, they're so tired by the end mm-hmm. of that. So we... Have to look at how sti- like you know how mentally stimulating it is for the dog as well. Well, these dogs have to have a job, and they're doing their job daily. So, if anything, mm-hmm. maybe in in fact, these dogs are being most work than than or being worked more than most um, pet dogs that are just hanging around at home anyway. So, that's and awesome. that's why we look at the age as yeah. well as being a really important component. So, I mean, so a lot of people say like you know, uh, what's the youngest they can start? Well, they can start as soon as they're you know uh, once they've had their C five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can start attending training. Uh, we won't put them into a jacket, or they can't be training for a jacket um, mm-hmm. or what we call the initial, the in-training jacket uh, until um, six months of age yeah. um, and preferably around about nine months before yeah. they can get that so that we can, uh, and I know you use this a lot, so we have to have make sure that they're proofed real yeah. well, mm-hmm. um, that they can understand different environments yes. uh, as well. But um uh, we don't want them too old for the reason that um, it's and it's not so much to do with the training aspect of it, but more to do with uh, a lot of these dogs. Um, it, it doesn't seem like they're working a lot, mm-hmm. but they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, once they get to a certain age, they will start to slow down. So mm-hmm. some of their faculties will start to slow down with them. So they may not be able to perform um, a lot of the tasks that uh, are required or was initially required of them. Yeah. Uh, so once they get to, um, you know, around about the 10 to 11 uh, age mark, it, it is sometimes we sort of generally tend to ask them to have a look to at retire. their health yeah. and it's good to retire them. But um, mm-hmm. if they want to integrate, it's a really great idea for them to actually integrate another dog mm-hmm. um, whilst that dog is still in. Um, because dogs mimic other dogs yeah. really well mm-hmm. um, and it can actually help with that process and it yeah. also makes that retirement process uh, a lot easier. So yeah, where the true. dog will most likely by the time they're 10 or 11 go, yeah, you can take that one. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you, yeah. can do, you go and do that gig. <laughs> I'll stay yeah, here exactly. at home in the, in the comfort of home. I feel you. And um, so most of the recipients are choosing their own dogs or do you ever choose dogs for them or you go out there and find dogs that need to be rescued and then allocate them? Uh, we preferably now, a lot of people that come in actually already have a dog. Okay. Uh, so our job uh, first is like through that application process, um, they then have to do a suitability test. 
Yeah. Uh, this was something we introduced. I wish we had introduced it right from the start. Uh, you, you do learn after a while. Sure. Uh, and because I, uh, you know, when I first initially came in, like um, as co-founder, I was no dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did the certifications and everything to be a dog trainer. Uh, but um, I've, but also going through this process, I've learned a lot um, as to responsibility and, and um, not only to the recipients themselves or, and to ourselves and to our trainers, but to the public is a, is a huge thing. So it's really important that we get um, people to choose a dog or if they have a dog, that they need to look at the type of dog they have before kind of applying for the program and thinking that their dog will be suitable. Mm. Um, you know, we do sometimes get a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's a, it, uh, I want the dog to protect me or to guard me. It can't be a service dog. Mm. Uh, and we've now got, uh, I guess, uh, kind of a, a script there to say uh, these are the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this uh, a service dog is for a specific reason. Uh, we now do the suitability and temperament test, uh, which has become really important. I know that a lot of rescue places uh, do suitability and temperament tests as well. So we did model on some of them um, uh, of what they deemed as being uh, a dog that was suitable. But we just um, enhanced it because uh, we had to add in um, children um, and adults in, as part of that suitability testing. Obviously, we have to have to have a responsible trainer that can handle that situation and understand what's required uh, in doing that suitability test. Um, and it, it has to be a, a properly qualified trainer that can do it um, to make that judgment because we can read certain dogs. We're not always going to know. Um, they're not always going to be 100 out of 100. Yep. So there are three markers in the suitability test. A lot of them, a lot of the dogs that actually do come in are really, they always hit the first marker and sort of blend into a second. Uh, any that go into the third, we just have to tell that person, sorry, um, mm. it would take a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and they have to ask themselves that question, are you prepared um, because this could take 12 months to 18 months of training to get your dog. I believe all dogs are trainable, Panos, yep. but it takes a lot of work. Exactly. Um, and when you're dealing with people who have uh, mental health issues, sometimes time, yeah. it, it's too much of a burden. If, if they've got their own uh, issues to deal with, yeah. they can't take on the issues that a dog has as well. Yeah. So uh, sometimes it's best that they have a dog that is, um, you know, like some of the dogs that we test and that um, they need a little bit of work, but they're very trainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we can tell that they're trainable. Um, it's They just need, they've never had those yeah. boundaries or, yeah. um, you know, been in a controlled environment where we can help train them and, and show them. So um, mm-hmm. we know that given time that these dogs will actually be, be very, very good. So... Yeah. That, that's interesting. I guess it dovetails into the next one. And like the, I guess we can put the two questions in one is that it could be like, well, maybe in the long-term goal is it would be great if so many people coming from service um, and however it is that they're, that they're um, helping the community out is that they're coming back with, with these issues, mental and physical issues, then, then what is being done about that and how do we try to minimize that 
from the, the source. But let's just say that's just part of the gig and that's just a, a side effect of what happens when you're doing certain tasks like that is that the government should be on board then getting on top of what it is that Whiskey's Wish does. And it would be nice if that there was a, a gamut of dogs ready to go, you know, being trained and, you know, and, and then being able to be passed on to recipients and, and things like that. And do you see that being something as a potential maybe for the future? Uh, not for us, but um, there is uh, Department of Veterans Affairs actually did, uh, uh, they do have a program um, mm-hmm. and they tend it out to certain organisations such as Smart Pups, um, for example. Uh, so where they have what we call the ready-made dogs, if mm-hmm. you're for, for want of a better word. So that they're being trained by others um, to, and look, I think that that's um, perfectly okay particularly for people who may not be able to train um, at the dogs themselves or mm-hmm. have that mental capacity to be able to do that and that's fine very much like um, you know a blind person not being able to train the dog um, because they just are not able to see so um, and and that's okay I, I think that um, and I think assistance dogs Australia are the same so they, they train the dogs. Uh, so it's not being crude in saying that they're called the ready-made dogs, mm-hmm. but um, that is it, it's uh, matching a dog to a person that yeah. may not be able to train. We chose to do our program uh, differently um, in that we found that uh, like ninety, it's almost like ninety-nine percent of the people in our program or people who inquire about our program, the first thing they say is, "Can I bring my own dog okay. into the program?" Yeah. So and maybe part of the program would be is the training of it all. It is how it kind of complements the the task that they're doing. Is that is that what you mean as well? Yeah. So yeah. because if if you start to have something very standardised, so if um, if you if you have uh, where you say, look, uh, we train dogs for uh, people who have post traumatic stress disorder, uh, and what are you actually training the dog to do? How will the dog recognise yes, uh, when that person is in distress? How yeah. will the dog know um, how to do certain things? Um, like we've always noticed, dogs are very intuitive um, when they're bonded. That bonding process is so important. Yes. Um, and even though they may be given a ready-made dog, um, there still has to be a, a period of time mm. where that person has to both train with that dog as well as that dog being bonded um, to that person to pick up uh, on a lot of those initial, um, you know, parts of of what they need. I believe that um, things like the mobility, though, um, I think the dog would, uh, they're great. Um, A lot of the ready-made dogs are are really, really good for those um, specific purposes. Um, as long as they've got the same level of training, so if, if that person can actually continue the training to a certain level to help them pick up on a lot of those things, I think those dogs would be uh, fantastic. But yeah. that's not what we're um, – we just, we just found that um, I think initially we were wanting to have that sort of model mm. of we're going to train the dog but what we found, and it is, it's, it is by experience and by sure. um, a hit and miss, a mm-hmm. lot of it, it is hit and miss in anything, is that we found that a lot of people that were coming in um, 
uh, they bought their dogs in because their dog was already providing a task. Exactly. Um, they were already providing the service. What mm -hmm. they wanted was, I, I need this dog to do this for me. Yeah, the, the nuts and bolts, that, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so what we did was we then provide that education and etiquette of what's required around it. So, so for some, that's why I'm saying some people that have come into our program have gone from, you know, that zero to 18 months and their dog has been fully accredited because they've already had that, um, that basic foundation. And the relationship um, was already there. It, it's already there. Oh, they're they're already good. into the training. But whereas uh, we get some people who, um, you know, if they've got, uh, we do have some breeders that actually um, uh, donate mm -hmm. uh, dogs to us. Uh, we vet them, the recipients for them as well, but it's kind of like a, an arm's length agreement because we don't want to own the dog. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the most important. Yes, true. Because if uh, it fails uh, in not the dog so much, but the, mm -hmm. sometimes the recipient doesn't understand the commitment that's, mm -hmm. that um, and it is a massive commitment. Uh, it's not just a, a simple, you know, teaching your dog to sit, drop and stay. It is uh, huge when they go out in public and understanding that. Some of the breeders will have that agreement um, and they'll actually sign over the dog once they reach the in-training jacket status. Um, yep. So, uh, and that we've signed off on that. Uh, and a lot of those ones have been labradoodles for them because mm -hmm. um, we do we do have some people who want a dog and it has to be hypoallergenic. Yeah. Not not so much because of them, but because of their family. Yeah, labradoodles me <laughs> so, good because they're 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 good size. They're they're they've got a good temperament. They're smart. They're intent. They're they're intelligent. Yeah, they're lovely. Yeah, and they're high energy as well. So kind of make you happy. I'm, they are. I think, they are know. very high energies. It's probably the one of the biggest things is uh, you know that we get is. They're always jumping around. Yeah. They're very excited. High on life. That's a, that's a lab in them. They're out very high on life. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we do have it. We do have a few of those, and they're great. And um, yeah, so we've had um, a few breeders, uh, like with the German shepherds as well. We haven't had so many offering this year, and I think that has had a lot to do with COVID. Um, oh, I mean, breeders are run out of dogs. That's what's happened. Pretty much, and, and mm. I think um, a lot of them have had to increase the prices too um, because, uh, you know, there's demand, a, yeah. a massive demand uh, yeah, for it. So, uh, but I think we had, uh, we do have, um, we did have one, uh, it's a gorgeous little puppy uh, called Ernie, the little blue cattle dog. Oh, nice. Um, that was donated um, to, and uh, it's absolutely lovely. So, uh, yeah, look, sometimes... Um, a recipient will come in and say, I don't have a dog. I'm not quite sure what breed to get. Da, da, da. So we, that's where we have to look at what their home life is like as far as, um, you know, do they live in an apartment? Do they live uh, rural or, you know, because a lot of those things have to be taken into consideration and um, their home life, uh, you know, family life, and that is something that they need to, uh, need to look at um, and then... Uh, most of them will, you know, usually say, look, I, I used to own this type of dog. Mm -hmm. and so we will look, uh, we usually ask them to go to um, rescue places uh, if they're not fussed about getting a particular breed that, um, you know, always look. Uh, and so we give them a bit of a guideline as to what to look for when they do go to rescues and that we're more nice. than happy um, to go uh, with them if they want um, assistance in helping what determines a good suitability in them choosing a rescue dog 
Um, so it's entirely up to them. We would yeah, much awesome. rather that they they choose a dog that they're they're happy with because it's going to be with them for life. Yeah, totally, hundred percent. Hey, Liz, um, this convo has been awesome. Um, obviously, we've been chatting heaps over the last couple of years, and obviously helping out with whiskeys, which has been awesome. But to do this and to like really get um, down the rabbit hole with with a lot of um, the the ins and outs of, of what it means to be a service dog has been really cool. Um, was there anything else you'd like to add um, before we wrap it up? No, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks, Kenneth. No, Thank always, you for the opportunity. Always, that's right. It's always a pleasure. Well, I guess anyone who is in this situation that, that can benefit from Whiskey's Wish, where can they find out any more further details? Uh, just to hop onto our website, so www.whiskeyswish.org.au. Uh, and we also have a Facebook page. Um, so uh, heaps of information on our uh, website. Uh, that, um, and uh, we also have contact numbers. So if anybody would like to ask uh, any questions, more than happy to answer them. Perfect. Well, until next time, Liz, you have an awesome day and I hope the website gets up and running and keep up the good work. Uh, You're serving yeah. the community well and we really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Panos. Lovely You're to welcome. talk to you. All good. See ya. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips and techniques, visit nooches Thank you and stay tuned for next time.